Okay, so um, I'm gonna have our, our people pull up the Apostles' Creed uh, right here so we can uh, look at where uh, we're at this morning as we've been walking through these, uh, these core doctrines uh, of our uh, faith. And, um, and when we look at where we're at today, we are, I believe, in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Okay, so we're gonna look at that first part first that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. Now, uh, Jesus is a huge topic, amen, thankfully. Um, and so I'm not sitting here going, okay, I'm gonna cover all this in one gathering. Nope, uh, the whole Jesus section of the Apostles' Creed, I'm gonna do in three parts, okay? Um, and so there's, this is part one, uh, and then there's gonna be a part two and a part uh, three, um, but the belief in Jesus, when we look at historically and even today, the belief in Jesus is what set early Christians apart from the beliefs that those around them had. So it was a cornerstone. It was huge. It's why it's, it's so prevalent in the Apostles' Creed. Christians are defined as those who believe in and, are, and who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's, that's a Christian. That's what we are. And so um, that's why this is the largest part. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, you guys, it's, it's Trinitarian, okay? Uh, in, the, in the second week when we went into this, we talked about God the Father, and Ian was preaching for me, and he talked about uh, the Trinity. And, and so when we look at how the Apostles' Creed lays this out, it literally speaks to who? It speaks to God uh, the Father, it speaks to God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit, Okay? But when we look at this mystery, and it really is a mystery of the Trinity, we can, we can break it down and all of that, uh, but when we look at it, it's, it's, it's difficult to understand, uh, but it's a very, very powerful and beautiful thing at the same time. In fact, C.S. Lewis uh, calls it the beautiful dance, three persons and one God. And, you know, I, I, I think uh, for some people, they go, man, I just, ah, the, the, the Trinity, it just, ah, just how that works and everything, I don't know. And for me, I kind of look at it differently. I go, well, honestly, for me, uh, it, it makes me be, it, it makes me more impressed with God. And I actually am more excited because uh, what the Trinity does for me, it goes, man, God is so much bigger than my finite mind. Like if you uh, were like, hey, I want to share my faith with you. I want to tell you about the God that I worship, that I believe in. And the God you uh, share with me is, is like my uncle. Um, I'm like, I'm not impressed by my uncle. Like that God doesn't impress me, right? But when we describe God and we think about the Trinity and we, and we, and we think about how that just works out in our lives, how we experience that, um, it, it, it reminds me how I, one, I can't understand all of who he is, but you know what? I don't want to fully understand because if I could fully understand, he wouldn't be God. So there's this piece of this that goes, man, that actually makes me more inspired and more excited about who God is because I can't fully understand him. He blows us away when we study who he is. But the creed not only teaches us about the mystery of God, but it points to Jesus, the son of God, the savior who has redeemed us from our sins. Now, when we talk about saying just Jesus 
Christ. What we're actually saying here is we're saying he's the anointed one of God, the Messiah. Jesus Christ, when you think of the word Christ, it's not just a, a, a name. It wasn't like that was his last name. No, that was a theological title. It carried theological weight with it. It's the claim attached to that name that promises, uh, that the promises given to Israel are fulfilled in him. It, literally the name Jesus, the Lord saves. And so when it comes to answering this central question, and it's the question we all have to ask, the question of who is Christ, we go to scripture. And what we also see is Jesus asked the same question. In fact, he's with his followers in Matthew chapter 16, and in verses 13 through 16, this is uh, what he says. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, so Jesus, um, he's walking with his disciples and, and he says, hey guys, what's the word out there about who I am? What are people saying? Who do they think I am? And uh, so they're like, ah, should we tell them? Uh, well, here's the word. Like, here's the word on the street, Jesus. That they're saying you're John the Baptist, you're, uh, you're maybe Elijah, you're, you're this prophet or, or that. So uh, essentially uh, what uh, the, the word is, Jesus, uh, on uh, the street when it comes to who you are uh, is that you're, you're kind of this reincarnated prophet. That's, that's, that's what people are saying about who you are. And, 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 and then we see uh, Peter responds, right? Because he asks him, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And what he's saying there is he's saying, you are the king. You are the savior with the title of king. And as he declares this to Jesus, you need to understand and know right now that who's in charge right now when we think about the, the global superpower uh, at the time? It's Rome. And so by him saying, Jesus, you are king, he's also saying Caesar is not king. And what we see, what we see is, is, is Jesus, you have sovereign authority over all of this. No one else does. You alone do. And it reminds me of what I said last week where uh, I, used, I said that quote where, where literally all of, when we look at all of creation, there's not an inch that Jesus doesn't say, that's mine. And so Peter is saying, you are the Christ. You are uh, the king. You rule over everything. And you guys, this is the most important question that you could answer today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Because it is what defines who you are. And, 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 and you guys, uh, when you think about just like that, that final day, that, that day of judgment that we talk about, um, like, like guys, we're gonna stand before uh, God and we are either going to meet Jesus as savior or we're gonna meet him as judge, okay? When we stand before him. And, and, uh, and, and, and so when we think about, and, th and that's all gonna be predicated off of who is Jesus to you, right? Who is he? And so Peter is declaring that you're not only the king, but you are also the Savior. 
And I want to highlight that, that Jesus is our Savior. An angel appeared to uh, Joseph early in the New Testament there. We see an angel uh, appeared to Joseph to tell him that the child who'd be conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit would be called uh, Jesus. And it says in Matthew chapter 121, the, uh, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And then the angel says, for he will save his people from their sins. And literally later on, uh, it, during the same time period in, in Luke chapter two, we, we, we read about angels who are out, uh, the, or not angels, but these shepherds that are out in the fields outside of Bethlehem and angels appear to them. And in Luke chapter two, verses 10 and 11, it says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. So we believe in Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who was promised to Israel, the one who fulfills all of these promises and so much more. And so calling him Jesus Christ is emphasizing that he is our Savior. Now, here's the other critical piece to this. Salvation is in Christ alone. Peter, uh, when, we, when we look at the book of Acts and, and we see the beginning and, and the disciples and the followers are filled with the Holy Spirit, we see them speaking out boldly and they're given power uh, and, 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 and not only in speech, but, but also in just works and, and there's miracles happening and, and all of this. And uh, Peter, they, they heal this lame guy and, uh, and, and they're arrested for it, for, for that and what they're preaching. And they stand before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, and this is what Peter says in Acts chapter four, verses eight through 12. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to the crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, there you go. We could leave after that. Why are we talking about this? Why is it more than one part? Why is this so important? Why does this dominate the Apostles' Creed? Why does it dominate Scripture? Why does Scripture point to Jesus? Why is it a roadmap to Jesus? It's because of that. And so Peter, with his life on the line, after he's seen his Savior get crucified uh, for uh, this, he boldly proclaims the unique exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And so only through Jesus can we be saved. Only by his name can we come into the presence of God. And so Jesus, what we see, he is the, the only unique son of God. Now, okay, I told you we're preaching the Bible. I'm gonna read a whole bunch right now, okay? You ready? Okay, good. I hope it's okay. We're at church. So if you, if you, you know, if you have issues with that, we love you and we're so glad you're here, okay? Um, 
Colossians chapter one, I, man, I was like, I'll just sum this up. Well, that would be the sermon, so that doesn't really make sense. And there's so many powerful things in this passage. We just have to read it, okay? So, so uh, we're gonna read it. It's gonna be up there as well. Um, and, uh, and I know it's a lot, all right? Uh, but you gotta hear this. Some of you have heard it. You need to hear it again. You could read this every day. It, it's so important, okay, when we talk about Jesus. So I don't know any other way around it. So in Colossians chapter one, let me start in verse 13. It says this, and it's talking about Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Man, that is just a section that is so rich and powerful. He's the unique son of God. He is not this creature. He's not this created being. He's the only begotten son of God. He always was. He always is. He always will be. Scripture teaches to the pre-existence of the son. You guys, Jesus is co-eternal with the father. Right? John 1, 1. In the beginning was what? The word. The word was with God. The word was God. Well, who's the word? Eh, John 1, 14, right? The word became flesh. Jesus. See, he didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to create Jesus and then send him down there. No, actually, John 3.16 says that God sent his one and only son. Sent his one and only son for you and for me. And after Jesus was baptized, we read in Matthew 3.17 that after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he came out of the water and the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You guys, Jesus is the eternal son of God. It's by his atoning work that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the most high. And, 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 and so he is savior, but also, and this is so important, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. This is one of the most, if not the most common title given to Jesus in scripture. And where do we get Lord? Well, Yahweh in the Old Testament was translated to Lord in the New Testament. 
Now, 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 here's what's just crazy that I hear about. And guys, I hear this in our church. I hear this from people that I meet with. Uh, I see it across the Christian landscape. Uh, it, it's this. Some claim that they can accept Jesus Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. Right? Like, <laughs> he's my Savior. I love him. I believe in him. I love what he does for me. I love what he did. In fact, I'm happy. I'm gonna stand up and sing when you're done teaching today and all that because of Jesus, but um, he's not my Lord. Lord is another way of saying king. But you guys, what we see in scripture is that is a foreign concept in scripture. Like it doesn't work out like that. That's not, that's not a possibility these weren't mutually exclusive titles. They had to go uh, together um, like that. Like, like it, it does not work that he could be savior, but not Lord and King. Um, like they, it doesn't work out. In fact, in Luke uh, chapter 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and not do what I tell you? Like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm like, I'm not your Lord. I'm not your King. And, and, and you guys, some of us have to really think about this this morning because we uh, have received this get out of jail free card. I've been playing Monopoly a lot. So just forgive me. Um, and, 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 and so like, like, like we're good. Right. And, but, but how we look at it is um, I get that part. Cause I really like it. It saves me. So I'm all in with that. I'm all in with the new life. I'm all in with the hope, uh, the peace from that. But uh, when it comes to what I want to do, how I want to apply this, uh, the decisions I want to make for myself, for my family and all that, I, I got this. And what, what you're actually doing, like guys, to be honest, that's not salvation. Salvation is a surrendering. It, it, it's me giving him my life. It, it's saying, you're not only savior, you are Lord and savior. Okay, that's part of it. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse nine, it's really clear. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so, so it's not like, hey, if you just believe that Jesus can save you, you're good. If you just believe uh, in, 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 in that peace um, and acknowledge this truth, you're good. Like, no, uh, he needs to be Lord and Savior of your life. He's got control. He is king. You guys, he is the perfect fulfillment of prophet, priest, and king. He is by his nature. And, 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 and so uh, it's so sad because I just see this across the board that I believe I want this, but I'm unwilling to make him Lord of my life. And I'm like, listen, by the authority of scripture, you're not saved. And so we have decisions to make, but those decisions all come back to what? What Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? We go to the next um, doctrine, doctrinal statement from the Apostles' Creed, and it says, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, uh, when we think about conceived by the Virgin Mary, I think for a lot of us, we're like, that's the great Christmas Eve sermon. Fantastic. I love it. 
It's gnarly. It's kind of weird to wrap my mind around it. Don't fully understand why that had to happen, but it's cool. And only God could have done that. So that's awesome. But if we ask, well, why did that need to happen? You go, not sure, but it's cool. And I agree with it. Um, Guys, people were dying for these statements. Early Christians were losing their lives to stand up and say these statements. So this isn't just like, a, oh, that's a cool Christmas time story. That's awesome. I think that's, that's an amazing thing. Like, like what? Why, why is this so important? It's, um, I remember growing up and uh, probably more so in college, there was a TV personality, uh, um, and a TV host, and he would interview people. Uh, he's, I believe he he died in the last couple of years, um, Larry King, and he would interview people. And I remember like he was all, he seemed to be, at least when I was in school, he seemed to be kind of the guy that got those really influential figures, whether they're political, whether they were cultural influencers, whether they were religious figures. And so I remember like, I, I would like tune in and I didn't always tune in uh, to like, I wasn't like, you know, some of you that just like you drink the news. I, I, I wasn't. Uh, like that at all. Uh, but I would pay attention if there was going to be a really interesting interview that he would do. And uh, one time he was asked if he could interview anybody in all of history, who would he interview? And he said, Jesus Christ. And then they asked him, what would you like to ask him? Ooh, isn't that a great question for today? And he replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born? The answer to that question would define history for me. Hmm. So you guys, the Bible tells us that Jesus was conceived through a virgin named Mary. This was prophesied about in the Old Testament. God raised up this prophet uh, who was going to be his mouthpiece in the Old Testament, this prophet named Isaiah, and he clearly speaks to the birth of the Messiah and how it was going to happen. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, and this is Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Guys, this is 700 years before it happens. That's an impressive prophecy, isn't it? Okay, 700 years and literally Isaiah is arguing like, you're not gonna be able to miss it because she's gonna be a virgin. Okay, so his listeners are just like, yeah, that's crazy. We're not gonna miss it. And then they all missed it, right? But we see it prophesied about 700 years before and the major sign is what? She's gonna be a virgin. It's gonna give birth to Emmanuel. And in fact, Matthew quotes this passage in Matthew chapter one, verse 23, and he specifically designates it to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He will be born of a virgin and he shall be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, so this was clearly, it was prophesied about, uh, it was clearly spoken of, it was predicted, and, 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 and literally, it's not like when we study this uh, that we go, oh, like, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph, they fully understood what was going on and all that. No, like when you look in Luke's account of this, uh, we, we, see, we see it 
clearly trying to repeat the fact that Mary was a virgin. Uh, in Luke chapter one, uh, verse 27, literally uh, the angel is saying uh, to them as he's telling them um, about what's going to happen, he says, uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And then it says in verse 27, and the virgin's name was Mary, okay? Uh, in verse 34, uh, it says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Literally to the point of, you know, verse 37 this is impossible, and the angel what? Like, mm, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So, so this wasn't this just like, of course. It was what? How? Me? Right? Like, this was a big deal. And so the Bible clearly, uh, you know, makes this a focal point. It, it, it clearly speaks to that Mary was a virgin and that Jesus was conceived solely through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. You guys, this was a sovereign act of God. Jesus is a gift from him. Okay? Uh, see, humanity needed a perfect savior. We needed a perfect savior. The problem is we could never produce one, right? So we've got three kids. We've tried each time. <laughs> Guess what? Man, we're 0 for 3, okay? Now, we love them. They're great. We'll keep them. But like, uh, like I mean, we haven't yet gone, <laughs> that one's perfect. Like, no, God, you, Wow. That one's perfect. No, right? Most of the time we're questioning God with our kids, right? Why, God? What, what, why did they do that? I don't know. And God, I, you know, like, and how did, where did that come from? And, and usually God's like, well, look in the mirror, buddy. Um, and, and so that's kind of how it happens. But you guys, we have tried. Uh, we can't do it. We can't do it. You couldn't measure up. You couldn't be the sacrifice. Uh, you're very aware of your imperfections, I hope, because we all have them. We all make mistakes. This week, you made some mistakes. You said some things you wish you shouldn't. Maybe you posted something you shouldn't. Maybe you got in a fight. You had an argument, um, and you wish you could take some of these things back. Why? You're not perfect. Okay, sin entered the world and it infected all of us. None of us were like, oh, nope, I, no, no, we all were infected by it. And every time a, a beautiful baby comes into the world, oh, they're infected as well. And so we can't do it. We can't be perfect. We never could be. And we can't create perfection. So what had to happen was there had to be a perfect and holy God that decided to intervene. Okay, and, and, and so because the substitute had to be perfect, Jesus only serves as a perfect substitute and offering for sin because he is, and this is huge, he is both fully God and fully man. Huh? I know. He is both fully God and fully man. Remember Emmanuel, Matthew 1, 23, which means God with us. John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You guys, the birth of Jesus emphasizes the need for God's supernatural intervention in history. 
And what this really displays is God's initiative. See, the point of this doctrine, when we talk about the virgin birth, it's, it's not just that, oh, God is so powerful. He took a virgin and man, made that happen. He's so powerful. Wow, like, yeah, he is all powerful. He is almighty, but, but that, wasn't, that wasn't, you know, the, the purpose, the point in all of this. Uh, you know, like the point is that he came to earth in the flesh. That's the point. Okay, this is the real miracle. The real miracle is that God came to us. He is a God of initiation. This is huge. This is huge for us today. I talked about how imperfect we are, the mistakes, the failures that we have. And you guys, this is what's so incredible when we talk about the virgin birth. We talk about Jesus coming. Um, When he looked at us, when he looked at the state of humanity and all of that, he had a couple options, right? I should just do another flood. Like, didn't work out again, right? Here they are again, they're, they're doing this, they're thinking this, they're acting this, they're, they, they've taken the reins again. And guys, all throughout the Bible, we see that again. And we're, guess what? We're continuing in that unfortunate uh, path, right? We're, we're continuing on it. We're doing the same things, making the same uh, mistakes. And yet what is so beautiful about this, why this is so powerful is that, is that God, when he had this moment to just be like, I'm done with it, I'm over, I'm ending it. I already tried to set precedence there. You didn't get it, so let's go. No, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when God looked at where we were at, looked at you and me, he had the opportunity to go take a step back. I'm, I'm getting out of that. No, that doesn't reflect me. It's not who I am. It's not a tangible expression of my love. Uh, no, but what he did is he leaned into that. He took initiative. He said, they're helpless They're nasty, they're evil, they do these things and it breaks my heart. But because I love them so much, I'm going to initiate an opportunity for redemption for all of them. I'm gonna provide a way because I love them all so much. And so guys, at the moment that you and I If we were God, would have ran, would have delivered wrath. He initiates redemption. He initiates grace. He initiates mercy so that nobody in this room or watching online online can go, I'm unworthy, I've I've done too much, or I made this mistake, or or this and that. Nope, you can't say that. You can't. If you're believing that, it's, it's you're believing you. You're not believing scripture. Because the very moment in time where he had every right to go, I'm I'm stepping back from them. I'm gonna just let them, I'm gonna let it run its course. They're gonna tear themselves apart. No, he actually leans in. He creates a way of redemption and he reaches down into this, you know, as Psalm 40 says, the muck and the mire. And he, you know, gets into this. And then not only does he initiate uh, this redemption, but what does he do? He, as God the Father, he sends the Son to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so God um, decides, I'm not gonna just deliver wrath on them. I'm actually going to make peace and, and, and with the people that are in rebellion against me. 
and he doesn't demand all of these things from us. It's, it's so backwards. In fact, John 3, 17, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Guys, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Uh, God initiated a way for you and for me. And not only did he initiate it, but what did Christ do? You guys, what did he do? He put on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation, right? You guys, uh, he, he is incarnational. Our ministry has to be incarnational. He didn't look at us and go, okay, I'm gonna create this. Uh, like, no, he went and he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus didn't show up and be like, I'm just gonna fix it all. No, Jesus got into it with us. The word became flesh. He took on flesh, took on humanity. And, and he didn't like step into this as a 30 year old. I got it together. Listen to me, I'll fix you. No, he came in the most humble of ways, right? How did he come into the world? A baby. To, to, to these no-named young teenagers who don't have much. That's how he came into the world. Ah, Savior. Like, that's it. So he comes in the most humble of ways, and he takes on the flesh, and he walks through life so that he can be the new, the perfect type priest who can walk through everything you've walked through, who's experienced temptation, experienced all of this stuff, so that, that, that now... He can say, no, I do understand you. I do know what you've gone through. And so at the point in time where you and I lean back, he leans in and Jesus comes in the form of a baby, the most humble of ways possible and grows up. And, and, and ultimately what we see is, is the picture of incarnational ministry. You guys, we are not called to look at the world, to look at our community, to look at our schools, to look at uh, our kids' situations, to look at the college and go, wow, look at how nasty that is. Well, that's destruction right there. I bet that's coming. Like we're called to actually immerse ourselves into it. Like incarnational. We're, we're, we're not called to, to, you know, to, to sit back and build these massive walls, right? We're, we're, we're literally called to model what Jesus did. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came and, and he didn't just initiate a way, he became a way, he got into it with us and, and, and he literally uh, got into the ugliness of people's lives, of their worlds. He met the woman at the well. He, he, he had the woman uh, literally put before him and they're like, oh, look at, all, look at how evil she is and, and, and the individual and the guys, the Zacchaeuses that were ripping people off and everything. He dealt with all of it, but he didn't do it from a distance, did he? And so we are called to be incarnational in our ministry, in our mindset, in our heart. And where you're gonna feel that is the moment that you feel like I need to step back. I don't like that is probably the moment he's calling you to step in. And aren't you thankful Jesus did that for you? Whoa. Christianity is incarnational. He went beyond just taking the initiative. You guys, through Jesus's physical death and resurrection, he makes it possible for ordinary people like you and me to be forgiven of our sins and live forever with God. That is the good news. That is uh, the gospel. And that's what we take with our mouths, with our actions as we go out and we try and live our faith. And you guys, <laughs> let's just be honest. 
we should be different because of Jesus, amen? Like we should be different. Um, in Hebrews chapter one, and that's another section, maybe I'll read it in the next coming weeks because I have multiple parts to do this now. But in Hebrews chapter one, I wanna read verse three as it talks about Jesus here. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Do you see that? He is the radiance of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Now, here's what gets me really, really excited. Who are we called to replicate? Who are we called to follow? Who are we called to love? And not just like love, but love to a degree where oneness occurs. It's us and who? Jesus. Now, if Jesus by nature is the exact imprint of the father and, and his life literally magnifies and glorifies the father, what do you think will happen in our lives and come out of our lives if we are in step with Jesus? Wow. Can you, can, can you, are you getting it? The, 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 the glory that would come out of us towards the Father would be insane. And, 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 and it wouldn't be like, oh, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it. No, if I'm focused solely on this, this incredible opportunity, which is that Jesus inviting you into a loving relationship and all he asks for in return is that you love me. And if I will do that and pursue him out of that love, I, my life will start to take the very imprint of the nature of God and it will glorify him. And guys, he will do that with you. He will do that uh, with our church. And guess what will happen? The things that you started to say, well, there's no way he can do that. There's no way he can reach them. There's no way he can reach that situation, that group of people, all of that. What you will end up saying is just like what the angel said to Mary in Luke 1, Nothing will be impossible with God. You'll see it. Nothing will be impossible with God. Who is Jesus to you?